Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm your host. ODAT is an acronym for one day at a time that I picked up in early sobriety and something that's stuck with me every day since. How did you... Welcome to another episode of Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm going to be your host today. Uh, just a friendly reminder for all of our listeners, please go ahead and leave a rating or review. It's one of the few things that I ask of the listeners. It's something that really, really helps out. For people that might not know about the podcast yet, it helps pop up in the algorithm, the more ratings and reviews we get, and then it'll help pop up in someone's, uh, in someone's timeline so that way they can hopefully hear one of these stories. And one of these stories might resonate with them. You never know when one of these uh, awesome stories of experience, strength, and hope might really help someone, might help them put the drink or the drug down or prevent them from picking one up today. It might help save someone's life. So please go ahead and leave that rating or review so this, uh, these stories can get more spread. With that being said, um, today's guest is going to be another person that I found from TikTok, another awesome influencer, someone who's spreading, spreading a great message. This is someone that I saw on there a while ago and just continued following the journey and more recently just tried to reach out and get him to share his story. Uh, he has an awesome story from the little bit that I was able to see from TikTok and from, from the stories that he spreads on there. And I can't wait to dive in and get to hear this in full detail with the rest of you. So with that being said, I want to welcome on today's guest, KP. How are you doing today, man? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Awesome. So let's go ahead and start back from the just, you know, the 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 very easy question in the beginning, who you are, where you're from, what you do for a living, if you want to share that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so um, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. But uh, I relocated after I got out of prison. I got out of prison in 2019. Um, I guess between uh, to say that I was from anywhere, I guess we could say I'm from prison because that's where I spent the most time. Wow. Uh, How old are you? I'll be 41 this year. Shit, you look so much younger. It wasn't until right now, actually, uh, with this uh, with the video on that I noticed like the little bit of uh, salt and pepper in your little beard. Yeah, I need to, I need to. <laughs> I definitely thought you were a lot younger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, let's, uh, let's go back to your early years. Uh, tell us about your, uh, your childhood bringing up as much detail as you want to go into. You know, um, hindsight's always twenty twenty, Um, and I've spent, uh, the greater part of the last decade in recovery and, uh, I worked a 12-step program thoroughly, and when you do that thoroughly, you, you, you face a whole lot of what got you to uh, the point, whatever point that is that you're at um, in life. There's a lot of reflection. Um, so that being said, I don't want to take the victim stance and blame everything on my youth or my upbringing, however that's how we are engineered is, 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 you know, uh, by our upbringing, the environments that we grow up in shapes our character and, and, um, for better or for worse, it, it, it has its, um, it has its effects on our lives. For me, it was a, it was a horrible upbringing. I'm the byproduct of a, of an affair, uh, uh, my mother was my, my father's mistress. And, uh, 
I grew up in poverty in a, in a broken home. My mom divorced my dad, took all his money, whatever his, his side of it. The only evidence that she, that, that she has uh, showed me was um, she was perfectly fine giving up her only son. She had four girls and uh, she only ever wanted a boy according to my dad. And then she had one and uh, you know, toxic. So it ties in like this. I came up in the eighties back when the public school system uh, was, was, I want to say in cahoots with the, the welfare. Um, and this was in the St. Louis area. Yeah. Okay. In, in the welfare that you might have to edit some of this, bro, to get my, oh, we're good. So as a kid, my parents was, my dad was 50 when he got with my mom. My mom was 35 or 36. Um, he didn't want no more kids. She just wanted a son. They were both too old to be raising a, a hellion. And my mom had me put on Ritalin because the, the teachers at school, it was a big push in the 80s. Um, there'll be some people that are familiar with that. Uh, there was a big push if your kids are misbehaving. That was like get hard, get, get, uh, tough on drugs or the war on drugs and all that stuff. Um, I, I guess I was hyper and, and uh, public schools counselors and resource classes and stuff like that. Um, Ritalin, Dezipramine, Prozac, in and out of the guidance school uh, counselor's office. Um, I have no fond memories of, of being a kid. It seems like I was sedated all the time uh, on the concoction of, you know, pills that the psychiatrist gave me. Um, I didn't have a proper chance to learn a coping mechanism. I didn't have a proper chance to really develop my mind. I'm seven years old eating psych meds, you know, and a lot of them wasn't proven at the time to even work. It was just, we'll try this and try this and try this. Years later, we found out a lot of that stuff was pharmaceutical grade speed. So here so you got just a, a guinea pig. Yeah. And here's a kid who in his earliest development, um, socially awkward because he's sedated all the time. All the adults are saying he's hyperactive, so we need to slow him down. Can't find a place to fit in. You know what I mean? Um, the only place to fit in was was with other addicts, future addicts, because at the time we were just, you know, what you said, guinea pigs. You know, um, I grew How up. How old were you the first time you uh, you picked up a drink or a drug? Thirteen. Thirteen. I remember I was scared at first, man, you know, but then they say marijuana is the gateway drug. I, I don't know that because it really wasn't, it really wasn't a transition for me. I just got high on whatever there was around to get high on. Is that um, what it was for you the first time? Was it weed? Yeah, of course. The first time I would have said it was weed. Uh, it seemed like, you know, after, I mean, it was just whatever came around, man. And where I lived up, there was there was plenty of anything you want, you know. So, um, 
dark times, dude. I don't I don't venture down that path anymore to even stop and 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 talk about it. I guess I should have thought about it a little bit more before I answered it. But common tragic upbringing, man. Uh, no parental supervision whatsoever. In and out of juvenile. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what picture to to, to give you guys. It, it's all dark. You know what I mean? Like I I completely understand. Um, and you know, it's just it's it's kind of you know whatever whatever you want to share. It's, this is it's just kind of your story, your picture. Um, so when you uh when you got into using at that point, then what uh what was your drug of choice uh? personally and and let's talk about your active using years uh you know where it kind of started what it turned into uh you know because i mean obviously your story is going to be filled with spending some time in the prison system so how did it get to that point what were you kind of doing okay so it was pretty much just always a party as a kid one party to the next you know and in order to do that, I have to have money. Um, I didn't. I did try to cut grass. I did try to, you know, uh, work jobs. But as a juvenile, there's you, you really can't work jobs. You, you really can't um, find anything that's like legit. You might this neighbor here let you cut their grass or rake their leaves. And, you know, this one over here might let you wash their car. But I learned early on. I guess out of necessity that if I um, needed something or wanted something, it was just easier to take it. And that was reinforced by, you know, the social norm in the uh, areas, neighborhood and, and mentality that I grew up in. So I guess it, it, it started out just wanting to party all the time and take stuff to, to, you know, to supplement that um and, and then you know came the neighborhood drama you know uh my neighborhood beefing with this neighborhood well if we jump down on these guys we take all their stuff you know the girls think we're cool the girls like that the girls like a stub the girls like a bad boy and i had that mentality i'm just gonna I'm, that's that's me i'm a gangster i'm gonna push that as far as it'll go and uh the first time I ended up in juvenile, I was 13. I kicked uh, my mother's window in. It was stupid. Um, I didn't have a key to the place, and I felt like her and my dad were divorced. She lived over here. He lived over there, and I needed to get into her place, and it, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me. So I kicked her window in uh, to get in there, and she ended up calling the cops. She ended up putting me on probation. Then I got busted at school with weed, so they put me in juvenile for a few months. Um, I got out pretty much the same thing. Smoking weed was the big thing. Drinking was the big thing. Um, I, some people I worked with, you know, uh, were, were kind of some hippies at a pizza place I worked at. They were hippies and they had access to some of the designer drugs at the time, which back then was just, you know, LSD and shrooms. And I kind of liked that, but, you know, I mixed that with whatever else was at the party and um i got to hanging around people that that were a little bit older and a little bit more serious and uh they saw that i i had heart and was fearless and uh i 
burglarized houses, man. I, I kicked in doors and went into people's cars and stole their cars at the gas station and anything I could do to, to, you know, validate myself in the eyes of these girls and these older people and, and everything. And I ended up catching a year in juvenile. Um, I did like 10 months of that. Um, then I got a girl pregnant. Um, when I got out, I got a girl pregnant. We, uh, ended up having a kid. I ended up turning 17 right after my 17th birthday. Uh, I caught four felonies, uh, for possession of weed, uh, possession of a stolen gun, um, possession of a TV that, uh, so I see all these possessions and stuff. So me and my friends were drinking at the house and we were drunk leaving. Uh, and my dad called the cops, I guess, because we were a bunch of drunk kids leaving. And I guess he didn't want to get in trouble for the, if, if those girls got in trouble or whatnot. So he called the cops, the cops came to the house. They found a, uh, stolen tv they found a stolen gun and uh, some weed in my bedroom and uh, then when i got to the jail so i got back to the house and the cops was there waiting on me uh they arrested me and when i got down to the jail um i resisted arrest that was another felony so i ended up with four felonies they ended up giving me a 10-year sentence and you were um, only you were how old i was 17 years old damn yeah and uh, they didn't take it easy on me because of my juvenile history. You know, I, I, I had those problems. And, uh, well, they gave me 10 years by way of two consecutive fives. They gave me a five on two felonies and a five on two felonies and ran them consecutive. Um, back then, the way that this Which state- for people who don't understand how the jail system works, and correct me if I'm wrong, the difference between consecutive and concurrent is concurrent would be fortunate is more in your favor because they're running at the same time. So as long as you're not getting in any trouble, you're pretty much just doing whatever, whatever the longer amount is. But when you run them consecutive, you know, that's when you're really the second five year sentence doesn't even start until you're done with the first one. Exactly. And that's how it was back then. That's what I was just fixing to say how the sentencing guidelines went back then. I had to do all of the first bit before I could roll on to the second one. So I went up for parole uh, September 11th, 2001. Oh, twin o'clock in the morning, yeah. And I went up for parole from the hole. And uh, because I was in trouble for whatever reason, I, you know, I, I, I was a knucklehead, like hardcore idiot. Um, when they seen me, they stipulated long-term drug treatment. Um, some guys back in, 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 in the, in the hole was like, you know, when you go up for parole, man, make sure you tell them that you need drug treatment. It'll get you out of prison quicker is, was, was the thinking, you know, because by all rights, they could have made me uh, pull 40% on the second one before they released me. So I was just trying to get out as fast as I could. I was like, yeah, I'm a drug addict. Well, then when I finally made it to the drug treatment, um, I was like, I don't need this. I'm not, you know, drug addict or nothing. So I ended up getting kicked out of the drug treatment. Um, they sent me back inside or back, back into main line. Um, and I ended up doing another like 18 months and they stipulated a, a lesser uh, drug treatment institution, drug treatment, which was like 90 days or something. I breezed through that and I ended up getting out. 
all together I ended up doing uh, not just under six years flat. So it was like five years, 10 months. I got out. I was 23 years old. So you're only 23 and you've spent, what, seven of the last eight years of your life in jail? Now my juvenile, yeah. Wow. So, uh, and I, and you know, at the time, I don't have no education. I don't have no job skills. I don't have anything, I, you know, and I was in denial about my addiction. Predisposition. Your trade addiction. skills are robbing and fighting. That was it. And I get out to the streets at 23 years old and I got this great idea how I'm going to make it. I'm going to work the hardest job I can find and, and, and pay my bills. That was my, I'm going to stay free. I'm not going to get high. I'm, I'm just going to work and save my money. So I get out. My dad ends up helping me with a place. Um, I don't get high. I'm working. I got a job as a hot carrier. I'm, I'm doing outstanding. Like everything is good. I get back with my baby's mom, the girl who I had left pregnant when I went to the joint. While I was in the joint, uh, she took up with all my friends. Like, you know, she just, you know, slutted it up with all my friends, which built a resentment in me that end up playing out the years later to come. So I'm under this mindset once I got out 23 years old that I have to work a job and, and not get high. Those are the only things. Well, drugs just keep finding their way around me, influencing, influence, but I'm saying no, I'm saying no, I'm saying no. I ended up uh, hanging out with my baby mama trying to make that happen but she was um chemically dependent and uh i end up getting back with her and i i compromised a little bit i wasn't getting high but i started to sell drugs because i worked a construction job i felt like i was supplementing my income in the winter time by uh selling to some individuals that i had met around the different construction sites and stuff like that um, and had a good thing going. I wasn't getting high, but I was selling to people who were employed and, uh, everything was fine, but I started coming home like at nighttime and, and, and my girls there with, uh, all my bros that I was serving to his old ladies and shit and my entire association became drug addicts became people that were in the game and uh it wore me thin man uh i got injured at work and they put me on pain medication um vicodins so i was taking the vicodins as prescribed and smoking a little weed um i compromised on that and uh when my vicodin prescription had wore off um, I started to use a little bit of cocaine now and then. And the cocaine went to Adderall. And the Adderall went to uh, K4s. And the K4s to the Oxys. And eventually the Oxys led me to heroin. And um, eventually I started uh, to shoot heroin. And Damn. it became an everyday thing. And uh, I woke up in the morning kicking in people's doors robbing people to support my addiction. Um, there was no hesitation in me. Once that had me, it had me. There was one point, February 15th, 
2006 or seven, sorry, February 16th, 2000, February 15th, 2007. Um, I had a spiritual awakening, I guess you could say. And uh, uh, I decided I needed to get treatment that I was going to, uh, this wasn't going to end well. Um, and I know I left out a lot of like minor details and stuff to what, happened between that space and time but it all bring it all comes around full circle um i started associating with people i started to use pain pills i started to use harder drugs gradually got harder and uh february 15 2007 i reached out to uh, a recovery center trying to get a detox and i didn't have insurance so they couldn't give me a medical detox uh, I checked myself into rehab. They couldn't give me a medical detox. They offered me uh, a cot on wheels to sleep on and Fruit Loops. That was what I got offered. And as I explained to the treatment counselor at the time, man, like, look, I rob people in these streets every day to support my habit. I kick indoors. I, I, I'm not right. Um, I need help. And this, this, this person was like, man, my hands are tied. I can only offer you what I have to offer you. And that's that. So, uh, I made a pact that day. I was going to do what I do until the wheels fall off. Basically I'm going to ride this out to fall off. My whole scope was, um, hold court in the streets. The cops jumped down on me, shoot it out, go out in a blaze or have, you know, as much as I can eat and OD straight suicidal, man, straight psychotic suicidal i had no regard whatsoever for anybody or anything it was just me and my addiction that played out for about six months man um at the end of the six months i was in a trailer park and a cop that was doing civil process in the trailer park serving summonses accidentally went to the wrong trailer went to my trailer instead of the trailer next to me where they meant to go and they looked in the window, there were some guns in there. So they ran the plate on my Jeep at the time. And uh, I was a felon and there was guns in there. So they got their little major case squad together. They're, they're jump out boys, as we call them. And they came in, kicked the door in, jumped down on me, caught me red handed. I had stolen jewelry, uh, some stolen guns, some heroin. And uh, fast forward, uh, I ended up getting 10 years in the feds, which was the statutory maximum on a 922G, which is felon in possession of firearm. I took the max because in my PSI, they, they had option for enhancements to 924E, which is armed career criminal, which is 15 to life. They had to wait for me to get sentenced on the state side before them, they could push them enhancements. Um, so I went ahead and snatched the only offer on the table, which was the max, 922G, 10 years. Took it. Bam. Does that take away I, the ability for them to be able to come back for that longer? Yeah, I had to snatch it immediately. I had to take the maximum amount of time that they could give me on that sentence at that time. Because to wait any and get sentenced on the state side on anything would have pushed them enhancements. 924 armed career criminal, which is another five years minimum at 85%. So I wasn't stupid, but uh, I, I took the 10 years and the state was trying to give me 45 years. 
Um, they would not come down off of 45 years. They was wanting cooperation on anything. I don't have nothing, man. You got me with stolen guns. You got me with, with uh, some jewelry and some heroin. Like, it's just me, man. You know what I mean? I throw myself at the mercy of the court in that I have been a career criminal. I have never had no education. I have never had no formal training. Yada, 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 yada. They weren't trying to hear it. 45 years, man, was all they was offering. I prayed to God, dude. God, you have to, like everybody does when they go to jail. God, help me. God, this. God, that. God, please, please, please. I was their biggest fish to fry in that moment, man. Small, small town, uh, dozens of burglaries. Uh, so they wanted to crucify me. Well, there was a guy named Chester Harvey. Um, he had a standoff with the cops. I guess he cut up a body, a drifter that was hit on his woman, cut up the body, had a standoff with the cops and, and a bunch more shit. They wanted his ass. Um, so when he got jammed up and, and, and stuff, uh, I, I became less important. Um, the idea of taking all my cases to trial, I guess, wasn't as appealing to them because that was all that I was telling my lawyer we're doing to that moment. Take it to trial. I'm not taking 45 years. Well, right before January, or no, excuse me, right in January, my lawyer comes to me, pulls me out, and he says, man, listen. He said, they've got bigger fish to fry right now. 25-year cap, uh, bench, bench plea. You can plead, you know, mercy from the judge at the bench. Cause that was my justification. I had no education. I had no nothing like, you know, I'm, I'm a junkie. I reached out to a, a, a treatment center in, in February of 07. Like I was trying to get help. Couldn't cause I didn't have insurance. That was my case that I was to present before the judge, like just have mercy. You know what I'm saying? Um, now for me, 25 year cap, they mean they won't go no more than that, but up to that. And I can ask for less. Um, so that's what we did. And I went before the judge and I said just that. The motherfucker gave me 20 years. And uh, yeah, the plus side was he didn't run it consecutive to my Fed bid. Um, he sentenced me and in the language of the sentencing, remanded to the Department of Corrections for a term of 20 years. And this sentence shall begin immediately. Later on, this, come, this, this played out in my favor. Because he used that, this sentence shall begin immediately. Uh, it was run concurrent with my Fed sentence. But I got sentenced to the Feds first. So off I went to do my 120 months, my eight and a half years of that. And uh, first five years was a party, man. Um, I had fucking all this time. And I didn't know at the time that because of that language, that I would, I would have salvation coming. Um, I was under the impression that when I was done with my eight and a half in the feds, I got to go do 20 in the state. So I went to prison with this mentality. I don't give a fuck about nothing. It's on, on site. I don't care about, you know, no education. I don't care. Nothing. This is it. Cause you I think you're spending the better part of the next 30 years behind bars. I, I, my best case scenario for parole was 2028, 20 years. Wow. That was my only hope. What's it like? Can, can you walk us? I mean, I guess that's what you're already doing with the whole, like, 
it's on site, whatever is necessary. Cause I was going to say like the mentality that you got to have when you're, you know, what, what are you 25 at that point? 25, yeah. 26, 25, 26. At that and time. your face and you're facing, I mean, shit, I'm almost as long as you've been alive. Forties. And I mean, I'm going to be in my yeah. late best case scenario, my late forties. Um, yeah. And mind you, I've been already been locked up my whole life. So I just fuck it. Fuck it, man. On site and all that just means I have nothing to live for but this gangster shit. Um, that's all I want to do. That's all I care about. Um, with all that concerned me. Um, that being said, the universe works in mysterious ways. I, I met a lot of really key influential people uh, during my stay. And they planted a lot of seeds in my mind. Um, that would later bear fruit. A lot of the individuals that I associated myself with were people who were militant, military-minded, people who were disciplined, people who were structured. The Fed system itself is super structured. Um, we ride in cars. Um, we, we have rules, and we live by those rules, or we die by the rules, and that's just how it is, man. Um, I hit an FCI because of my points, um, which is a medium correctional institute, uh, as, as opposed to a USP. I probably wouldn't be out here if I hit a USP because the mentality was so much different and I was primed for uh, that mentality. It probably would have killed people. Who knows? I'm saying that I feel in my heart God kept that from me and, and uh, exposed me to the people that I was exposed to and everything played out the way that it did for a reason. Um, while I was inside, uh, what brought me to recovery, um, a buddy of mine, West coast, Dave, man, Dave Blackmore, he was from Modesto, California. And, uh, he was doing life plus a hundred and he was just like God me. Damn. Yeah. And he had had one, his, his brother is a shot caller in Pelican Bay. He locked down all the time, but he was a shot caller for some North side for North side crew. And uh, I just had mad respect for Dave, man. We just hit it off. Like, I could see that he was me, just older. You know what I'm saying? And uh, he taught me to program. He taught me discipline. He taught me how to respect myself um, and how if I respect myself and I'm claiming all these virtues that we claim and, and don on ourselves in there, loyalty, honor, uh, respect, how there's a contradiction there if you're getting high, how there's a contradiction there if you're killing yourself with these chemicals, how there's a contradiction there if you're not improving yourself and bettering your mind and bettering your life, improving your health, how there's a functioning contradiction in the people who are afraid to cope with reality, afraid to cope with life on its terms, how, that, how that's fear-driven tell a hard ass that he was afraid of anything but it was shown to me the fear was shown to me that i wasn't getting high because i like to get high i was getting high um because i i was afraid of dealing with life on life's terms it was my uh inability to 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 feel inadequate it was my inability to um to accept that I don't have control over any damn thing 
Rather, I just have control over how I respond to life happenings and how if I want life to um, happen in my favor, I will set the stage for that by making conscious steps towards improvement. Um, it's like the law of attraction. Um, what you put into this universe is what you're going to draw back from this universe. So I have a choice. I can say, oh, my life is so fucked up that I'm going to get high and mask this reality for a temporary time. That's time I'm going to only layer that heartache. I'm only going to layer that uh, confusion and, and, and uh, life experiences that's um, too much for me to handle. In other words, I'm only going to make shit worse while I'm getting high. But I don't have to worry about it high because I'm high. But when I come down and back to reality, it's twice as bad. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, it's it's it sounds like a lot to to cope with, but it it does it's, make sense. We all do it. That's that's how we do. That's how we function. Um, as an addict, we 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 live in that moment. That moment that I can escape my reality, never realizing that the reality that we are creating that that multiverse the real reality is going to be twice as bad when you come down that's just how it is man that's how it works so dave showed me that i was afraid he showed me that i um can't claim any kind of quality of character while simultaneously accepting drugs as a mask using drugs to create this role that I show people how it's hypocritical, man, how it's fake. And I grew to disgust, excuse me. I grew disgusted with myself, but we're going to play this out a little bit farther. I had been getting high every single day on the yard for six months, December to April. I had just got done doing 14 months in the hole for a riot. Me and Dave was sellies in the hole. While we was in the hole, he had a spiritual awakening and started talking to God, became really religious. Me and him cut ties because I was still on my thug shit. As I explained to him, we're doing two different times. He taught me everything I just told you, but it didn't dawn on me until later on, all them seeds and everything. He showed me all that stuff, but I wasn't ready to accept that yet. This this had to this had to play out. So I guess I got a hood in myself, but I had to give him his respect in that moment. We we cut ties. I get out the hole, I get back on my gangbanging shit, man. Fucking my knucklehead shit. And I end up meeting the plug in the joint who likes how I move, likes my sincerity, my 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 mindset, my swag whatever you want to fucking call it um and puts me on i start getting a couple grams every week now to those that don't know don't understand but to those that know you gotta respect what i'm saying here here i am a white dude just in the 044 car plugging two grams of heroin every week 
in a joint. That's something, man. That's 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 doing something. I mean, I had other things, irons in the fire in there too. Poker table, stores, the shit that goes with the lifestyle, man. I was in the wing with my nephew and, and four of my homeboys, and we, we we made it happen, but nobody knew the plug was plugging me. They didn't know where I was getting it, and, and I was serving everybody else, but I had a fucking street habit in that motherfucker, man. It was so bad that I, I didn't even have no veins left to hit, man. I'd have to put a roller vein in my foot, hold it fucking still with some fingernail clippers in my hand in case the pigs look in the door to see if I'm what I'm doing. I'm just cutting my nails, but really I'm trying to hold a roller vein still between these two fingers so that I can get high. God damn. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, this isn't going to end well. I had multiple realizations. Like it's not going to get any better than this. It can only go down from here. This fucking sucks. I hated my life, dude, but I was on top. I had four cells worth of commissary a couple thousand dollars wire money wherever you know i need to put it i'm in there with the plug man and and untouchable how i felt i didn't like how i was feeling bro i didn't like it but it's playing out it's playing out it's playing out well i ended up getting busted with a knife man um and that's another year in the hole and so they sent me to the hole but if you're in the hole and you do these treatment programs that they have in there, they're taking a chance of change and all this, you can get three months knocked off of that year sentence. So my strategy to get out of the hole quicker was to do these classes. I start doing the classes. Fucking nuggets of knowledge, man. Start just fucking in envelope in my mind. I started, I, I found a taste for self-help material, man. And the, and the library cart was full of self-help material, man. I started to read everything, man. I started to get publications. I, I started to educate myself, man. And I began, like, I was in my addiction with knowledge, with this whole self-improvement kick. I started writing this lady who was in charge of what was called the ITC, Intensive Therapeutic Community. It was a year-long militarized drug treatment program in prison. In the level five, I was in the max. And I started to write this lady who was had been the, the overseer for that program for like 25 years, on a five. And I knew she was a tough woman. So I just kept it real with her, man. I'm like, look, I am all these types of piece of shit and I love to get high and I'm a fucking do these classes just so I can get back out on the yard, get back to my bullshit. Give me a chance in the program. She reviewed my file and wrote back to me like, fuck you. I'm not giving you a chance. You're fucking beat. And I wrote her back calling her all types of hypocrites and shit. Like I'm the genuine thing. I'm from the streets. I've been doing this my whole life. You want fucking, you're in a glorified PC unit, man. With, child molesters pretending to be fucking drug addicts just so they can have sanctuary from general population you don't even believe in your fucking treatment program i start going at her like that she's like all right motherfucker she came down to my to my cell in the hole and looked me in my face short little fucking white-haired woman motherfucker i'm gonna tell you i'll break you she's doing all that she's like you gonna come in this program and you're gonna fucking and, and and if not i'm gonna bury you i'm gonna pull all the strings and make sure you never get out of the hole 
like, okay, I like a challenge. Not only that, do I, I like the militarized, you know, program. So play it out. Nine months in the hole, I end up getting out, going straight to a drug treatment program. My first day in the program, we're doing flutter kicks on a parade deck in the rain. <laughs> How bad do you want it? Oh, man, I ate that shit up. I liked it, man. And I put my heart and soul into my 12-step program, dude. And I graduated and became a facilitator and stuck with it. And I didn't get no play on, on my pro hearing. I went up for pro in 2015, and they're like, fuck you. Come see us in four years. But I've been doing all this programming and shit. Fuck you. Come back and see us in four years. So for the next, and that, mind you, that was just to get this 2028 date, right? Only date I had. This is 2014. They said, come see us in 2019. I need 2019 to do what it does so I can get out 2028, man. I programmed my ass off for four years, dude. Um, I, I started attending uh, the second chance program uh, for a bachelor's degree in communication started facilitating effective uh, communication, rationally motive therapy, uh, beat the streets, criminality one, criminality two. My whole scope just was on this self-improvement stuff. Dude, I, I quit. I didn't fit in with my homies no more. I didn't fit in. Administration looked at me and thought I was alive. I thought I just mastered some way to fake it, to make it. Nobody could believe that I really found the thing for me. Um, the last time I used drugs, man, was April 30th, 2013. Um, I completed that drug treatment and I haven't stopped. I have not wow. stopped. Um, I didn't jump on social media until after. I didn't even tell you this. Dude, I'm sorry. I bounced around. No, no, here. no. I want to go back to this for a little bit, uh, for a minute real quick. Uh, okay. So when, when you quit, the, I know you mentioned uh, like doing like a 12-step program. Do they have you go into like AA or NA or is it one of those things where they just have you doing a 12 step program like amongst them? Like how does how does that work? I'm going to tell you. So in this program, you've got phases, phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, phase five. Phase one is whatever, 90 days. Phase two is like 90 days or whatever. Phase three is like 90 days. Phase four is like 90 days. It's a year long program that's ran by inmates drug addicts who have changed their life people like me i guess people like you i don't know your story but people who had the mental fortitude and, and the experience to, to to give it back to use their life experiences and give it back a lot of these men were were, were 15 20 30 year vets a lot of these guys, some of them are never even fucking going home, man. But I respected these guys, man. Um, I didn't respect any fake shit. Um, we, we, the inmates, systematically made this program work by eradicating sex offenders hiding over there, by getting rid of the people who didn't want the help. All the stars aligned and, and my phase brothers, the individuals that I went through it with and, and, and the, the, the council, the, 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 the senior staff members and stuff that was running this program, all the stars aligned. It was just a miracle, bro. Um, I have 50 victims, 50, 50 people that I've victimized, man, stole their shit, 
physically assaulted. Um, had I known now what I had, I known then what I know now, I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have robbed those people. I, I wouldn't have done the shit that I did, man. Um, one person like myself could have stopped me. Look at the ripple effect. I realized all the harm that I had caused in that program, working that 12-step program, paying attention in each phase. The whole program was, was wrote around the criminal mind by Dr. Sam Nall and Yokelson, which is a three-book, big-ass book program um, designed to um, uh, make the best conditions possible for rehabilitation, for um, recovery. That was the model that we used, the, the, the template for the drug program, The Criminal Mind by Dr. Yokelson and Sam Now. I put it all in there and then packed it with myself um, that I was going to continue to work 11 and 12, however that looks, man. My program works now because I continue to do it and, and I find social media as an out for me to reach other individuals, potentially like myself, who can differentiate and has the, 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 the know in them to see me and know that this motherfucker can do it. I can do it. He is me. The same way that I know that Dave is me. If that makes sense, man. I'm not much of a of a talker, man. No, it makes I, it makes a it makes a lot of sense, bro. And and you're definitely you're definitely hitting right here. And I know I know that there's a lot of people that are really identifying with this story. And you know, there are some people that have done some some lengthy criminal, uh, some lengthy prison sentences too. And they're understanding exactly what you're saying. Um, and, and that's, that's guaranteed a fact. Uh, so let's go back to, you know, that 2015 to 2019, what's it like when you're coming up on parole? Cause from what I'm understanding, it seems like you don't even think that getting out in 2019 is an option. You're just hoping that it's setting you up to be able to get in 2028. 2028. Yeah. So, I felt alienated, man. Um, that's a lot of individuals. So, so, okay. Let's say I'm hardwired, uh, addictive personality. I'm so open-minded that, that a lot of my philosophies, not all of them, but some of them, I'm willing to compromise. I'm willing to say, you know what? I could be wrong. So I stay fluid. All right. But I will say that, um, fitness worked two ways for me one because I have an addictive personality man and I had to find something to replace uh who I thought I was okay up until before I, I, I was just a gangster I was just a motherfucker trying to have fun kick it drugs was just uh, an accessory to that but they work hand in hand when I gave that up, I don't know who the fuck I was no more. I had to adopt something. And a lot of people say turn to religion. A lot of people turn to, um, you know, whatever, whatever they turn to. People find their identities, whether that's religion, politics, whatever that might be. I turned to physical fitness. Um, it worked hand in hand, development of mind, development of body. 
while simultaneously letting motherfuckers know, like, this kid still goes, you know, despite the fact that I'm not passing the blunt around with you fools or in the cell fucking drawing water up out that same cup. I'll still go and I'm still going to be a handful just because I'm not thugging doesn't mean that I'm, I done fucking hung it up. <laughs> Training did that for me. It, it, it boosted my self-confidence. It, it validated myself to myself. It functioned as a deterrent for anybody who thought that, you know, just because I'm, I'm clean and sober now that I'm soft. Um, if anything, that makes you stronger. They just don't even realize. They just don't realize. And but they did, though. I mean, because I was still me. But at the same time, like, I'm not fucking with you guys no more. And everybody knew that and respected it. It was cool, man. And that made me go all the harder in my in my programs. I start writing my own programs. I start to educate myself on on you know, how, uh, self-preservation and, 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 uh, anti-aging and shit, you know what I'm saying? That became my thing. And it's just, it, it stuck. Um, it became routine prison teaches routine, whether you like it or not, you are going to program, you are going to routine. If you want to eat, you're going to get up and eat when they fucking feed you. If you ain't got no income from the streets, that's, that's what it is. If you got income from the street, that's fine. You're still going to fucking come out the cell when they tell you to. You're still going to cuff up when they tell you to. You're still going to shower when you, when you have, you know, all these things. It, it develops program. And I developed a strong program inside. And it worked for me outside. I continue to teach and, and, and facilitate and to, to work my program in the joint so that when I did go up for parole in 2019, um, not only did I get a date i got a 34 and out date that 2028 was a misunderstanding my sentence was to begin immediately now in my room right here somewhere in this house i have paperwork that'll show you that for years man all i could think of was 2028 is my soonest to be i had black and white it read just like that the earliest possibility for parole 2028 wasn't until I went up for parole in 2019 that the IPO in the institution, IPO, institutional parole officer, caught the language in the sentencing for whatever reason, brought it to their attention. And hey, guess what? We can let you go, you know, um, and did 34 days, 34 days, man. They said that we're kicking you out. That was, a, that was a shock, dude. I had to make, you know, prepare for the streets in a short period of time. Like, but I was prepared, man. I got out in 2019. My second day out, I got my driver's license. I hadn't forgot to drive. My second day out, I got a job working for a roofing company. Um, I went to work for this guy for six months. I rented my own studio apartment after 90 days or whatever. I stayed there for a year, but after six months of working roofing and we were getting ready to be laid off for the winter, uh, I applied at, my sister helped me do a resume and I applied for this union company that I work for now. They hired me. I've been with them ever since. Um, I, I, after I'd been in my studio apartment for a year, I was looking for another place to rent. But the landlord lady, she was super cool and said that I might be able to buy. Let's see what we can do. And uh, it turns out I was able to buy. And I ended up buying a home 15 minutes from my job. 
and and make it even better than that i as soon as i bought my home i i started a facebook account i hadn't had no social media up until then yes i was still in the gym every freaking day six days a week but i wasn't making videos or you know had no social media or none of that stuff dude well december i uh excuse me august i bought this house in july and august started a, a, a facebook and on that Facebook, I ended up meeting my fiance slash wife, woman, I'm baby mama girl, because we had a baby. Uh, I met her and uh, she she's just uh, was amazing. She She's from the West Coast, uh, from Las Vegas and uh, just a boss chick, man. And I had saved a lot of money because uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't do nothing, man. All I did was go to work and go to the gym and putting all this money up. I ended up meeting my girl and ended up flying out there and spending a whole lot of time, basically a whole year back and forth, making trips and vibing with her. And then she got pregnant and uh, then she moved here. And now, you know, I'm still with the same company. Uh, I'm a, I'm the safety lead. I'm a trainer. I'm the diversity ambassador. My company flies me up all over the country to get different trainings and stuff and um just constantly elevating i started a tiktok page in uh uh in december and i've already got close to 23 or twenty four thousand followers yeah shit you've only had that since december because i was just looking yesterday and you have like 20 you have like i think you had like 20 k yeah i just, opened- just started that holy shit um, but my whole thing with that is just to, just to help people, man, is to showcase like, you know, rehabilitation. I do a little bit of commentary here and there. I try not to be super controversial. Um, there's some things I speak on that is controversial, but for the most part, like I just try to put positivity out there and, uh, and, and my little fitness videos, man, I'm, I'm just winging it for real. I, uh, I, I genuinely want to help people. Uh, well, first the- off, I'm going to jump into that because I definitely wouldn't call them little because that's why I started following you in the first place. Before I knew you were in recovery, before I knew you did prison time, I just saw this super motherfucking tatted up dude just busting out, doing all this crazy shit, all these burpees and these crazy pull up videos and all this shit. And I was just like, I was just getting genuine enjoyment out of watching it. And I was like, all right, cool. Because, you know, my algorithm is all recovery and all fitness stuff. And so that's how you just popped up. And I was like, all right, word, this dude is, he's dope to follow. He's always working out. Cool. And then one day you mentioned about like, you know, this is like nothing compared to like prison or something like that. And I was like, all right, cool. So this guy's been through some shit. And that's when I, I messaged you, or I think I left a comment. I was like, Hey, you know, uh, I interview people that are, have recovery stories or have done lengthy prison sentences. If you ever just want to be on. And this was a few months ago, must've been when you just started. And then fast forward a little bit, I'm watching some more videos. And then I seen you mentioned about actually being in recovery. And I was like, yeah, like I need to get this dude on, but man, your, your videos are very, very motivational for sure. Like I remember watching one uh, that you did. It was just, it was a fuck ton of like these like modified burpees and not modified in a way to make them easier, but to make them harder. I think they were called like sailors or something. Navy SEALs. Yeah, yeah, the Navy SEALs. Yeah, holy shit. Man, you do you do some savage ass shit in the gym. I, I try to. Like, so a lot of those programs that 
I had in there would have um, peaks. It'd be like a little bit hard, a little bit hard, a little bit hard, really hard. And then the same thing in the next circuit, a little bit hard, a little bit hard, a little bit hard, and then really hard. I tried to take all those peaks and make programs just out of them. And I, I, I learned by, you know, just making a super, super, super hard program all the way across the board. It just makes you super, super, super hard. You know what I mean? Like the harder you go on yourself, the, the, the stronger you become. And then that's, you know, that's easy for an addict. If you stop and think about it, um, we're pretty masochistic. We, 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 we do drugs and, and destroy our bodies and, and sabotage all our relationships and, all the toxicity that goes into uh, living in that lifestyle, we're all crazy. You know what I'm saying? So why not turn it inside out? Why not, you know, turn that crazy into something that will, 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 will further you, will benefit you. You know what I'm saying? We've already proven that we're fearless enough to, 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 to do all the crazy shit we do against ourselves. It's not that, it's not that hard to just jump to the other side. It just takes some discipline and some want, man. Sure. Um, Are you on a strict uh, gym schedule? Like as far as like how many days a week you go? And I was, but it's getting harder now that I'm trying to structure one. Now that we're all full time here together, one big happy family, uh, and all the responsibilities that work's putting on me, I'm I'm finding that it's not as rigid as it's been all these years. Um, but that's okay. I still find the time to, 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 you know, to do my thing, but it's as long as I have healthy, responsible habits, it's cool, man. But there'll be days that my girl's like, you're going to the gym. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're traveling for three or four days and, and, in the car and different hotels and I might bust 300 pushups in the hotel room, but that, you know, what's that? How many and can you do unbroken? Probably 120. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty. And I don't think some people don't even realize like how insane that is to be able to just clip off 120 pushups, just like unbroken, just yeah. straight through like that's unbelievable. And I'm, huh? I know because you did, because you were in prison and because you have that military mindset, like I know that you're doing strict, correct pushups too. You're not half-assing them either. No, 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 no half-ass. Unless I'm doing jacks, they're actually got a name for jacks, which is a tricep workout. But if I'm doing chest pushups, I'm going to do them right. But I've got videos on there, bro, where I've busted a thousand in 40 minutes. Um, that's in my, that's all my videos. It's just 25 every minute on the minute for 40 minutes. Oh so it's, God. Like said. Only I feel like only you are probably the first guest that I've had on here that could use the word just when stating to a thousand push-ups. Like, God damn. Like that's well, just I've got videos thing. on there where I did unbroken a thousand squats, man. Unbroken, nonstop. Yeah. Took me 43. I'm assuming body, I'm assuming body weight. Body weight, yeah, absolutely. Uh I yeah, unbroken 43 minutes, which is is is, is a shame because there was a time, believe it or not, when I was doing a thousand push-ups in under 25 minutes and and i can I, I i've got multiple witnesses to that just one spot just up down up down up down until i get to a thousand that's not it. that hard I, I do that even now but it would take me 40 minutes 45 minutes what does one's legs feel like after doing a thousand squats 
if you're not conditioned to do it, it's going to hurt so bad. But if you've been doing it, like nothing, no big deal. Oh, oh my God. See, that's not human. That's not, that's just not normal, bro. Like that's savage it's shit right normal. there. I love it. I love it. it. It's not normal, but man, you know what? Like neither, neither is going on here, kicking people's doors and to take their shit to, to give that's to the true. dope man, get high. Like no, we're all, we say we're all a bit crazy, man. Like just to one extreme or the other. All I did was take all my extreme bullshit and put it extremely towards, you know, something that is beneficial that, you know, my whole life has became about my woman and our kids. Like that's it. I, and so I can, I can give myself permission to not go to the gym today. I'll go tomorrow or I'll just do 300 pushups, 300 squats, 300 sit-ups, 300 pull-ups. And I'm good. I've got all the equipment at the house i don't have to go to the gym but it's different i'm not living for me no more it's not like that like i'm maintaining my my atmosphere my my psychological emotional stability but like i'm 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 solely living to provide for them and and to improve their life i love that uh what are you able to do these days as far as your recovery um are you are you a meeting goer and obviously don't feel pressured by that, but like, do you, do you go to meetings? Do you like read any books? Like what, how do you work on that these days? I, so I do read books. Um, and, and they are still a self-help books. Um, I, I subscribe to a lot of like, uh, self-help, uh, material that's that, that, that people post in that I follow and stuff. They're pushing that, you know, self-improvement, um, ideology, uh, but meetings, no, I'm not opposed to going to meetings. I would love to go to a meeting. I don't, I, I don't go to meetings because I can't find the time to do it. Uh, don't even know where they're at. I would not recommend that for somebody in recovery. I wouldn't recommend that they lax or, or take, you know, the leisures or the the, the measures that I've taken. Um, I'm only strong enough in my recovery um, as I am. And I feel like I'm strong enough in my recovery to do what I'm doing. Huh? Yeah, my woman is the meeting. <laughs> I, I, if I was sponsoring somebody, this conversation would be different. I would be I would be promoting the hell out of meetings because I understand how many, how important they are. But let me tell you something, this conversation and the conversations I force on my woman in the vehicle from point A to point B and the conversations that I have with my associations, they are meetings, bro. Oh, they absolutely. Are I mean, they, they say they, a meeting is just two alcoholics talking to each other or two addicts. I mean, that's, I'm that's it. You. And, and so and, I respect that. I mean, we're having a meeting right now. Yeah. I mean, shit. And, and these are the kind of meetings that I, I like. There's not a lot of people that, you know, will sit down and listen to me speak. And I, I have my moments, bro. I'm, I'm off. I'm off key right now for some reason, but I'm, I'm trying to give as much as I can to you. Um, no. And if it's any peace of mind, you got off to like a, I don't want to say, I don't even want to say you got off to a rough start, but like in the beginning you were like, you were having trouble like getting comfortable, but no, after that first couple minutes, man, it's just been like, 
you just been in the zone telling your story and it's it's just been i'm sitting here like holy shit like this is like i knew i was gonna hear some shit today but damn man like this is insane like you should you should still be in prison not that you should be but like you thought you would still be and like man the the stuff that you've done and the stuff that you've overcome it's just it's amazing man it's it's truly a blessing um really is man let me tell you this man i lived my entire life in the institutions and um under this false belief in this illusionary world and under this false uh, uh narrative that I was all these things that I I really wasn't, man. Um, I learned a whole lot through my studies and and, and stuff. And we are fluid creatures, man. Um, We're we're in process. We're in motion on so so many levels. Um, Our unwillingness to accept that, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, well, probably not subconsciously, but our unwillingness to, to, to accept that is, is what hinders us the most. We are being socially conditioned to think that we have to be a thing, whatever that thing is, a Christian, a Democrat, a Republican, uh, an up, a down, a left, a right, a square, a triangle. We, because that's what they tell us. That's our individuality. And people, you know, feel this need to express the, the hell out of themselves through um, eccentrically expressing themselves, um, basically uh, putting themselves apart from everybody else instead of seeing the, 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 the commonality and, and, and the similarities and, and being at peace with that. Seems how we're socially conditioned to do that, man chemical dependency whether it's tobacco alcohol drugs is a social norm it's customary it goes hand in hand it's right there beside that that uh distortive thinking um that distortive thinking that 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 you have to be anything we don't have to do none of that shit. And, and when we realize that, then we are free. When we realize that we don't have to be those things, anything. In fact, just be someone and, and, and be fluid. And, and then drugs don't make sense no more because using drugs will only fucking hinder that, will only uh, stifle that growth. And once a person, and that was that aha moment for me when I stopped trying to be a thing and I started to try to be someone. And when you start trying to be someone, you start to love yourself, you start to appreciate yourself, the less you continue to destroy yourself, man. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense, man. Makes a lot of sense. So uh, tell our tell our listeners where they can find you on on your social media outlets. How, How can they find you and follow you and see these crazy workout videos that I'm that I'm speaking of? So KP Freeman. On TikTok, I think I'm the only one. I believe you are the only one. Yeah, I've got an Instagram account with no followers, but I don't know how to even upload videos to that thing. I put videos on there, but I don't know how to mix them up and make them cool. So a lot of stuff <laughs> is just is just 
off of TikTok with no sound so I don't get flagged for copyright. Basically, TikTok and 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 I'm completely open, man. Like, um, I'm a real person, man. Like, I really want to help people. I, I am capable of, of sponsoring other people and, and giving my testimony and showing what works for me. Me, a guy who used to stab himself in the in the vein 15 times a day to just try to be me. I'm not me unless I'm high. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like me, a guy who used to just dare me to go in their house and tie them up. I'll do it. Dare me to go steal that car. I'll do it. Oh, he's got what? Let's go. The same guy. If anybody can relate to that mentality and, 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 and they can appreciate that if I'm not getting high no more and that I found something that works, that it can work, man, that it is real. For sure. They, they tell us they tell us in the program it works if you work it. You know, it's one of the first things they say to us. Um, for, our, uh, for our listeners out there, for those that might be struggling with the drink or the drug today, looking to hear something to put it down, or for those that might be thinking about picking up a drink or a drug today and giving up their clean time, for those people listening today, KP, what can you say to them that will help, help them uh, either put the drink or the drug down or not pick it up today? Well, I know how you feel. And I understand that fear of going off into the unknown. I understand that, you know, um, sometimes it's easier to stay in, in, in a toxic situation because we're all too familiar with it. Our friends, our loved ones, our upbringing, all the things that, 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 that remind us, you know, who we think we are. Uh, we'll stay comfortable there because we're afraid to go into the unknown. Well, I promise you, it's okay, man. It, it's okay to go off into the unknown. It, it's, it's no, it's no, it's no harder than anything that you've already been through. Um, the hardest part is just making that decision to stop. And, and I know the sickness, the fear of, of, of the withdrawal and the, and the fear of isolation and the fear of, of, of all those things, but it's, it, fear is just an empty concept, man. Life gets better it gets so much better once you stop. And, and if you could fast forward and see yourself outside of that, that, that functioning addict or that chemically dependent junkie, it's, you would, you would, you would, you would lay down right now, go to sleep and, 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 and tough it out and, and go through all the withdrawals and, 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 and sever all the fake relationships and cut all ties with everybody that's reinforcing your, 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 your craziness and start the process of getting to find yourself and love yourself and, and, and change uh, your whole life and completely revolutionize yourself. That I super, hope that's super deep and powerful stuff right there, man. Well, this really has been a pleasure KP to have you on the show today and to have you sharing your story, sharing your experience, strength, and hope, you know, for someone who has spent, you know, if I'm doing the math, right, 17 years or so of your life was spent behind bars and you're only 41. So that's a huge 
it's a huge amount of time, especially for someone so young, but hopefully those days are behind you. And, you know, it, it seems like they are, it seems like you're continuing to motivate others, continuing to share your experiences with others. And, you know, this is, it's really has been a pleasure to be able to hear this story. Uh, you, you now have not, not that it's a record we ever want, but you now have the record for the most jail time served by a guest on here. The previous, uh, the previous was my very first guest who was a personal friend of mine spent 15 years in prison. Uh, so, I mean, not, not a record we ever want, but, uh, you're definitely the, the, the prison OG now on this show. So, so right. definitely, <laughs> but, um, on behalf of everybody listening to this podcast, everybody, uh, following in all 30 countries that have listened to this podcast, we want to thank you again for sharing with us today. All we ask from us to you, KP, is that you continue staying healthy, continue staying fit and brother, tell us how you're doing it. One day at a time. We love it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Staying Fit Odette. If you yourself identify as someone in recovery, whether it be from alcoholism, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, or any other type of mental health issue, then please join the group on Facebook at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, three different words. If you do not identify as someone in recovery, but you like everything we have going on and you want to continue staying in the loop with everything, then please follow us on Instagram at StayingFitODAAT. You can also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at StayingFitODAAT at gmail.com. Until next time, just know you're loved, continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and please keep doing this one day at a time.